Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired their personal trainer as a caterer. All right, folks, let's keep this line moving. You there with the tongs. Picking up one Dutch's potato at a time will not cut it at my catering table. Drop and give me 50. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Okay, this is what we call the wild mushroom and asparagus dip, dip, and press. Come on, let's get those plates above your heads. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by my brother, Kelvin Cox. If you too want to sponsor the podcast, go on patreon.com slash the Delvin Cox experience. That's patreon.com slash the Delvin Cox experience. There's free shows. There's plenty of content on there you can check out. Just go in there and check it out. It all starts at just a dollar. Peace. Welcome to the Delvin Cox Experience, the podcast in which each week I am on a one-man mission to unite our culture through diversity. I'm your host, Delvin Cox, and with me on the podcast, I have a special guest, a man who is an accomplished writer who's written a book that I bought for my kids. I would like to introduce the podcast community to Mr. Ken Bivens. How you doing, brother? I am doing great, Delvin. Nice to be on. Appreciate you having me. Definitely, definitely. And as always, we'd like to start the podcast off with the five for five. Five questions, five answers to get the ball rolling. Killer, you ready? I think so. Yeah, let's do it. All right, awesome. Question number one. What is the best album or song you've listened to in the past year? And it doesn't have to be new. The best? Yes. This year, though. Released yeah, this year. The past year. So in the past 365 days. Doesn't have to be new. Just uh, like uh, something you yeah. jam into. Okay. Well, I'll just give you what I got right now, what, what I'm jamming to right now. It, it definitely uh, is not going to be comprehensive, but what's had my ear for the last month has been uh, Jay Electronica's A Written Testimony. Um, it was his debut album. He's been around for a minute, but um, yeah, this is his full set. And it's almost like Jay Electronica and Jay-Z. Jay- I was going to say that. Like, Jay-Z is a- on like at least two thirds, I mean, a, a third of the tracks. And yeah, I've uh, had a big debate about that. Yeah, it's like Jay Electronica slash Z. Um, yeah. But then, <laughs> but then a close second is the new Childish Gambino set. You know, this is definitely good to, to write code to. So I'm loving those two albums right now. Those are great choices. Great, great choices. I like both of those albums. Even if the Jake Electronic album is a Jay Z slash album, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's Watch the Throne without Kanye. That's yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's a, that's what I said. Actually, it's Watch the Throne without Kanye West. That's all it is. Definitely. Question number two. As a writer, give me your who is your inspiration? What are your inspirations? Um. Yeah, so I find inspiration some of everywhere. Um. And, you know, I, I, I grew up on comic books. I learned how to read because of comic books. I was, I was considered a gifted kid because I learned to read when I was four. Um, so I'm not sure that I can really attribute the comic book writers this much um, in terms of what, what informs me, what inspires me as a writer, a novelist. 
where I am now, I would say um, Ralph Ellison, Invisible Man is one of my favorite of all time, Richard Wright, uh, John Steinbeck, and uh, Jonathan Tropper. So those guys, for different reasons. Okay, those are good answers. Those are definitely good answers. Okay. Question number three. This is everybody's favorite question. Uh-oh. What is the dumbest thing you've done as a kid? Dumbest thing? Oh, man. Whew. Yeah. So, going back to that whole comic book influence thing, Yes. I, I was under the impression, because I was big into Spider-Man and The Flash, and that scene where Flash, you know, he got the chemicals and the lightning strikes and the chemicals fall on him and he's got powers. I'm thinking somewhere between there and other stuff I read that if I household chemicals under the, um, the kitchen sink, if I combine those concoctions, I will somehow have, have superpowers. So I pour some bleach <laughs> and some pine saw, like, oh, who knows what it was. And I, and I put it on the table. I was going to drink it. I'm a stupid kid. And my big sister <laughs> came along and she was probably used to my shenanigans, um, threw it out. And I was mad. But she probably, well, not probably, she saved my life. At the time, I thought she deprived me of superpowers. But um, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a near stupid thing where I would have taken myself out. Yeah, that, that would have been really bad. <laughs> I would have thought the steering pain was, you know, that scene where Hulk is changed, Bruce Banner's changing into Hulk, and I would have been like, yeah, the pain, <laughs> I'm changing it to a giant... I don't know. <laughs> you know you're, you're having an heart attack, probably. <laughs> going into cardiac arrest. <laughs> Embolism, not powers. <laughs> Question number four, and this leads on to that one. Give me your top five favorite superheroes. Top five. So uh, leading with Spider-Man slash Peter Parker. Um, you know, I grew up, we didn't have a lot of money. And Peter Parker was relatable in that sense. He had this power, um, but he was also struggling. Um, uh, Black Panther, um, because while Fantastic Four, and they're not a superhero, but, you know, Reed Richards and Fantastic Four, he's like number three. Um, But Black Panther was a black dude. And you got like these really two smart dudes who are all about the science and could invent things. Um, I know we had Tony Stark, but I wasn't really into Iron Man so much. So Spider-Man, Black Panther, Reed Richards, a Fantastic Four, um, the Hulk, because uh, again, you know, going back to the big sister, I actually grew up in a house of six girls. And so there were plenty of times I wanted to just straight turn green and just smash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, number five. Ooh, yeah, that's the, that's the honorable spot. Who would go with number five? Oh, hmm. You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say. Uh, I'm gonna say Daredevil. I'm gonna say Daredevil. That's a good choice. Yeah, yeah. Because the, I mean, I I love Daredevil and Frank Miller came along and David Mazzucchelli and those guys. They pretty much revolutionized the character from from his real uh, original inception. And then the Netflix series, boy. I mean, Fantastic. I really hope that Disney brings that back some kind of way. So, uh, yeah, Daredevil. Daredevil. If I was blind, 
I want to be Daredevil. Cool, cool, cool. All right, question five. And this is going to be the interesting one because you're a writer, so you can figure out some things. All right. Zombie apocalypse happens Walking Dead style. You have to figure out a way to survive. Your family and pets don't care. What are five things you're taking with you to survive the zombie apocalypse? Survive. Um. Uh. Hmm. Okay. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm struggling with this one because I've, I've heard your past episodes and some of the stuff. I'm like, oh man, that's my answer. Do I have to be completely original? No, you don't. Not at all. Because I, I, I agree with some answers, and I'm like, that's what I would have thought. But now I gotta, you know, say something else. Um, uh, so um, I'm really big into the survival shows when when I have time, you know, naked and afraid. So you know, I got I got to be able to make fire. So I'm gonna have uh, a, a a tool that never wears down. <laughs> where I'm, I'm able to just strike the flint and make fire. I'm not trying to be all fancy with some sticks. Um, I want to uh, have a, a knowledge base, a cookbook. I don't know that we would have electricity, but, you know, have the, the, uh, a guide to what plants are poison, what plants are nutritional, what berries are good, because essentially I'm surviving off of the land. I'm not, um, you know, I'm a... I'm a pescatarian so i'm not really trying to hunt any wild boar or anything so yeah i'm gonna need to know what kind of what kind of vegetables are gonna go with my fish plate uh how many things do i get to choose you got three more left i got three more um let's see surviving the apocalypse i need a companion um and so i i would need the love of my life and I not, shall not name no names because that's not necessary. Well, yeah, I'll just stop there. I need my companion <laughs> with me. <laughs> well, they, who, they automatically come who, with you, sir. Who can, who can fight? <laughs> um, she automatically come with you. I'm not going to let that be your number three. She automatically have to come with you. Uh, you don't okay. have to carry her. Oh, okay. You don't have to carry her, so. All right. Well, well in, in the place of that, I'm going to need a, a high-powered weapon with unlimited magazine. Um, I am going to need, um, shoot, um, I don't know that I really need anything else after that. I mean, at, at the, the last couple would just kind of be a wild card. I got fire. I got the means to make food. I have, um, protection. Um, uh, you know what? I don't have a pet. And I think that every great survival series, if I were to write it, there would be a dog. So, yeah, I want, I want a dog that doesn't have rabies. And, okay, uh, I like that. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm overthinking because I'm thinking, oh, we're not going to have electricity, but... You know, I'm I'm thinking in terms of like I'm gonna need some entertainment, something to read. So I guess uh, if I don't have my audio books or or my Kindle, um, probably I don't know, Invisible Man. That's the book I'm gonna have with me. Okay. Yeah. Those are some good choices. Definitely, I like that. I like that a lot. I like the fact that you 
thought everything out and kind of came up with some cool answers. Yeah. I think the dog would work really good if you get in the kind of idea of like hunting. Yeah. Teach the dog how to how to uh, get your food after you shoot it. Yeah. Well, you're not you're a pescatarian, so you don't need you're not gonna shoot. You're gonna be fishing, so mostly so. Right, but we got the zombies, right? You know. Yeah. Because I think of Will Smith in that movie with the vampires. I'm gonna need. Oh. I am legend. Yeah, I am legend. Fantastic. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna need that, you know, that alarm system. Yeah. Support for the Devil Cock experience is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technological developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Now I have a friend who's I'm in a, I'm in a DM group where his name is Jigs, and he has a podcast called Jigs Reviews. And I kid you not, in the DM group he put a picture of his testicles bleeding, and of course we were like, one, why are you putting this in here? And two, what happened to your testicles? And he said he hurt himself shaving. And as soon as I saw this, the first thing I thought of was Manscape, and that's why Manscape has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball-held trimmer ever created. And it just released the new and approved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third-generation trimmer features cutting-edge ceramic blade technology to reduce manscaping accidents. <laughs> so Jigs could have really needed this. He could have used this a lot. Millions of balls about to be nick-free, including Jigs. Thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. And when I tell you it's premium, it's, I mean premium. The battery lasts up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower, and one of the best features of it is this LED light that illumines them darker areas so you can have more precise trimming. They also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. I also have quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your motor off loud and proud because this intellectually designed stand is convenient, charging dock powered USB. So if you're listening right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code DCXP at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you for it. I repeat, get 20% off and free shipping with the code DCXP at manscaped.com. One more time for the slow people in the back. Get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the code DCXP. Thank you guys. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself for those who don't know. Okay. So I am Ken Bivens. Ken is spelled with two N's as opposed to one. That started when I was seven years old. And again, I grew up in a house full of girls and they had the Barbie doll and the Ken doll, the freaky, scary Ken doll that was not anatomically correct, who did <laughs> not measure up to my G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip and the, mo- the million dollar man with the magnifying eye. Um, I wanted to be different from the scary Ken doll. And so I asked my mom if I could spell my name different. So from that point on, I've been K-E-N-N-B-I-V-I-N-S. Um, I came up on comic books and, and drawing. I learned how to read and draw 
from tracing comic books, from making my own comic books. Um, and, and that ultimately crafted me into a storyteller. And so after college, I, I um, started in advertising, painting billboards. That's where I really learned how to paint. Um, painting billboards for about three years, but that also got me into the world of advertising. Um, and so in that space, I've been an art director, I've been an animator, um, I did comic books for three or four years, uh, drew comic books, that is, um, and um, working in, in advertising on the website, uh, that was sort of my gateway drug into web programming and patient uh, development. So all of that is the summation of who I am somewhere along the way. I have written two novels and four books and a, and a children's series, and I'm working on two novels right now. Okay, any comic books that we might know of? Man, no. So, you know, you ever look back on something you did, like, yesterday or 10 years ago, and you're like, this is garbage. Yes. <laughs> so, no, I mean, I, I, um, I'm proud of the, the, the progress that I've made. So I started... I started working, I was ghosting for an artist who was really popular. Um, and I ghosted with him around the time Malibu Comics was around. And so before I got a, a regular, a, a respectful job as a superhero artist uh, working on Hard Case, uh, the comic book, I did a bunch of um, vampire and adult-related comic books like horror and stuff like that. And so it was just kind of a sundry of different things wherever I could get work because I was a new dad. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that was, that was my short comic book career, working with, uh, working with and learning from guys like uh, Brian Stelfreeze, Adam Hughes, Cully Ham, Tony Harris, people like that. I always find that interesting and cool because I have two friends who act in the comic book industry right now. Um, one of them um, just made a wrestling comic book. His name's Jay Salen. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. And one of them actually probably wrote some comic books that you probably like. Like his name's Rodney Barnes. Okay. And he's written Lando for Marvel. He's also written um, Falcon. Oh, nice. And he's writing a series right now that I can't remember the name of, but it's really good, a horror series. Why well, I can't remember the name of this. He's going to kill me. <laughs> That's awesome. Writing comics That's is true. like the new the new Hollywood writer. I mean, you've got like um, the major Tennessee Coates and, and, and other majors, uh, Roxanne Gay novelists that are writing comics now. Yeah, it's super cool to see how much comic books have evolved in terms of the people who are writing them now and it's like big big people are writing these comic books now and it's really cool to see that yeah and the book is called Philadelphia. Philadelphia. yes I like that name I gotta check that out yes it's really good and right, like you said like Rodney Barnes comes from writing TV shows like he's wrote he's written the Boondocks he's written um, the Wu-Tang series that's out now oh sweet so that's, that's kind of a new thing now when you're getting people who are coming back to write comic books because that's the new thing because comic books have just kind of blown up over the past few years. Yeah, comics have informed movies, TV shows, 
some of everything, not just the Definitely. superheroes. So what got you into writing? What made you want to write? Because you just said you wrote four novels? I've written two novels and uh, four, four books in the, children, the 39 Lessons Children series. Yes. Yeah. We're going to talk about that one in a minute because I found that one in an interesting way and I think it's awesome. <laughs> okay. So with, with novels, it, w- it was kind of uh, accidental. Um, I consider myself an artist, first and foremost. And as a matter of fact, I remember when I was trying out for getting comic book work, and I had a friend who was trying to break in as a writer, and I'm like, how are you going to get a job? Out? Like, where do you go to comic conventions and say, hey, read this script? <laughs> you got 25 <laughs> minutes to read this? Like, how do you get a job as a writer? Um, but I, th- there's this thing, um, one of my friends, he wrote fantasy. Uh, he had been working on this, this epic novel for seven years that he never completed. And he would take, uh, a, a time every year to work on it. And the time that he would take was in the month of November, this thing called National Novel Writers Month or the acronym NaNoWriMo. And, um, so this is essentially where you have, 30 days to write 50,000 words or the equivalent of an average novel. And he invited me to, to join him. And we were both, we were working uh, as developers together at the time and had a degree of competition there. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to actually finish a novel. I'd never written anything before. And originally my concept was like a superhero thing, but the heroes TV show heroes was a TV show at the time. Um, very similar concept. So I'm like, I got to do something else. And so I did it. I completed the the 50,000 words. I did 60. And I then went on the following year to twiddle around with it, to edit it, to tool it. And I had a friend who um, was a, a novelist and a TV show writer at the time who gave me a little advice here and there in terms of getting an agent. But ultimately, it was published by Small Press and, and did really well. Didn't make a lot of money, but um, just getting the, the feedback, seeing my book in Barnes and Nobles all the way uh, out to, to all the way in Washington State uh, was kind of cool. So that was kind of where it was born, this desire to tell a story with words as opposed to with pictures. And what was the name of this book for those who don't know? This was my very first baby. Don't judge me too harshly. When you read it, it's called Pious. Uh, P-I-O-U-S. And it's the story about this. I was going to ask you. Really, this really esteemed guy in the neighborhood. The community loves him. Everybody loves him. Um, But uh, he gets a little nervous when... They get a new his 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 community gets a new neighbor who is a registered sex offender, and they're somehow connected. So it's a thriller, um, but it was my first. So uh, yeah, that was that was my foray into the whole novel thing. Now I'm hooked. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that one. That's such an interesting concept for a novel in terms of how you're touching on issues that are not easy to touch on, to say the least. Yes, I get into the recidivism rate. The difference between if you could have a neighbor and you had to choose one, if if the neighbor was a registered sex offender, would you rather have that neighbor or a neighbor who has killed someone? 
And so that gets into, you know, the whole thing that where I studied about recidivism rate among violent and nonviolent um, offenders. So while it's a form of entertainment, there is a great point of discussion from a social standpoint as well. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because that's an interesting question you bring up. Like, it feels like society is set up where if you commit a murder, as long as people have it in their mind and it's justified, they'll let that go. <laughs> yeah. But um, in terms of, like, sex offense, you are, like, completely ostracized for the community. You're done. You're done, son. And if, you, if yeah. it was a child, whew. Lord, have mercy on your soul. Yeah, it's, it's such a fascinating thing how that works. Like, And it's really hard for these people who have done crimes, have had these things, have these experiences that happen to them, mm-hmm. to like acclimate themselves back into society. So it's almost like they have to fall back into that trap of doing things they shouldn't be doing. Right. And, you know, and uh, there's there's... There's two perspectives on it. I mean, you know, I'm probably like most people where I don't want a registered sex offender living next door to me, especially if I have small kids or my neighbors have small kids. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the psychology aspect is you've got people who have a, a, a what some psychologists would say is a mental illness and they can't be they can't be cured. They can't be put in jail and reformed. Um, and then you have people who get stuck in the justice system. They go to jail and they come out and they, they want to be reformed, but nobody will give them a shot. So then they only have the choice of desperation to continue to do what they know they can do to provide for their family. So it's sort of two perspectives. But, you know, the facts say that the recidivism rate, that is the thing that says your likelihood to repeat that crime amongst non-serial sex offenders is less than 5%. That means that once they're convicted and they're released, they're probably not going to do it again because in most cases they do it close to home and those people break relationship with them. They don't do it with strangers. But then you have violent non-serial killers like uh, offenders like robbery or um, murder Um, did I say nonviolent? I meant violent. <laughs> violent <laughs> offenders uh, like murder or, or robbery, um, they are um, 60% more likely to um, reoffend. And that gets into the whole societal thing. Not because they're just evil people, but in a lot of cases, they've made bad decisions that don't give them any options to, you know, re- to be reformed and just get regular jobs like you and me, you know? Um, I I think in the case of murder um, that, you know, oftentimes that's not, oh, I'm doing this because I'm desperate to make a living. So I'm speaking more to things like robbery. But, um, you know, if I got a neighbor who's committed robbery and they can't get a job, they might be kicking my door in. Whereas if I have a neighbor who was a registered sex offender who might have been a registered sex offender because he was goofball in college and mooned somebody and the cops pulled up and you know the judge slammed him with that with that registered sex offender because there were children present um you know i <laughs> i'm judging that person because of the registered sex offender um 
uh, label, but I don't know. Yeah, and I think you hit it right on the head that there's a lot of aspects to a sex offender. Right. And a lot of the times it's not stuff that we even think about. Like a, a lot of times people mind when they hear sex offender, they go straight to rape yeah. or something like that. But a lot of times it can be indecent exposure and things like that that we don't necessarily really think about. It's not really like heinous. Like you said, like it could be a, a guy who's in college who booed somebody and got a bad judge. Mm-hmm. Yep, just being a knucklehead. But that's a fascinating story, to say the least. And I'm interested in how you... I'm going to read it. I want to read it now because I'm interested in how you came up with that concept. What's, what's most interesting is, it, it's, is there's got a couple of fairly graphic scenes. There's a character who loves to curse but the book is categorized as Christian suspense. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it was an interesting debut. I, I, I look forward to one day it gets made into a movie, how, how it gets translated to film. But, uh, yeah, that was, my, that was my first. Definitely. And now let's talk about the one that I, I read with my kids. Mm-hmm. 39 Lessons. For black boys and girls. I, I actually found this book on Amazon because I was looking for some books for my kids because I wanted to give them more culture in their life. I didn't want them just reading anything. Right. So I thought, you know, my kids are mixed. They're part black, part Hispanic. Mm-hmm. So I've always wanted them to kind of get more in touch with their, their roots and stuff like that. And I found your book. And you know how Amazon gives you like, sometimes it gives you like little excerpts from the book and things like that that you can kind of check and get a preview of. Yes. I found yours interesting because it's short, but it's put in a way that's digestible for kids and will make them go through the whole thing with no problem. Because usually when kids see a lot of words, like, I ain't, I ain't reading that crap. Right. <laughs> Some adults are like that. <laughs> yes, that is, all, that is very true. You waited but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's the way you set up this book is it's literally like it, is, it says, 39 lessons. A lot of things... That's cool about it. It's a lot of things that we don't even think about sometimes. Like I talk about lesson number 19. You don't have the same privilege as your white friends. Yeah. Now, I know that. But my kids don't necessarily know that. So it's interesting for them to read. They're like, what does that mean? And then you kind of break it down and things like that to them. So how did you come up with the concept of this book? Because it's fascinating. So the, 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 this was the fourth in the series of four books. The, the original 39 Lessons was very, a, a very personal blog entry uh, several years ago that I wrote. Um, uh, Father's Day, I believe, I wrote it regarding fatherhood. You know, I have two, boy, have, have two boys, and they were small at the time, and I also have four nephews. And so this 39 Lessons for Boys was just simply uh, an opportunity to share wisdom as a parent and as an uncle or a father figure with people that were following my blog. Uh, since my focus that particular month was fatherhood, um, just, just different things that I taught them. And so fast forward to last summer, my aunt, my, my beloved Aunt Linda, who is a, a retired uh, educator, she asked if she, um, if she, if I had a print version of the list that she'd come across. And so I told her that I would 
put together like a little a little booklet just for her to share with the students that she was working with in her community and her church. And I'm I'm all about visuals. So once I start putting it together, um, I'm thinking, oh wow, this might be actually good for mass consumption. And it it evolved into 39 lessons for boys, um, kind of well packaged the way it is now. Now I have a 13-year-old goddaughter, just turned 13 um, a week ago. Shout out to Nori. Um, I can't do 39 lessons for boys nationally and not do one for girls. And so I went through and made a, a newer list for things that um, I have mentioned um, to her or things that I hope to have mentioned by the time she is a young lady. And I put that together. So 39 Lessons for Boys and 39 Lessons for Girls came out on the day that my youngest turned 21. Um, And then ultimately, there's more to it because I need something for the older kids where we can talk a little bit more about sex. So 39 Lessons for Teens was my third. And me being the uh, activist, the Black man, the father of Black boys that I am, I knew ultimately that I wanted to do this 39 lessons for black boys and girls, um, not just for children who are black, but also children who are not black, who simply don't know. I mean, I hate that people think that Black History Month is for black people. Um, it should is It is intended for everyone to learn of black history um, because it's not normally taught in in uh in educational and institutional environments so 39 lessons for black boys and girls was was essentially the 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 conclusion of my contribution to to that series and to date um much like you many people have found favor with the 39 lessons for black um that book has uh came out february the first it has been in the top 10 several spots on Amazon ever since and to this very day. So thank you out. Thank you to you for getting the book <laughs> for your kids, but thank you to everybody who has uh, taken a look at it, bought copies, bought copies for their, their kids. And another thing that was important to me was to strategically price it, unlike the other 39 Lessons books, so that everybody could get it. I don't make profit off of the Black series, off of Black, um, because it's basically printed at, it's basically priced at print cost and Amazon's fee. So $5.99 versus the $12.99 for the other series. That's really cool. That's really dope to say the least. Man, I think you picked the right time to come up with this book series. In terms of the climate that we live in today, I think this is needed. And I, I say that because I was having this conversation about, with my kids the other day about how my kids are blessed because they grew up their life, which is crazy to say, knowing nothing but a black president. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, now, and now, born, now look what they got. <laughs> yeah, like when they were born, they were born when he got in office. So the whole time they, were, they existed, they knew nothing but a black president. And now seeing this president, like, whoa, this is completely different. This is not good. And I didn't have to tell them anything. They they developed that on their own because they just knew what was right from wrong and what they saw before. Mm-hmm. And what they see now, they see the difference. 
And I'm happy that they got to see it for themselves instead of me telling them that. How old are they? My son is going to be 15 this year. My daughter can be 13. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I can imagine they're like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Very aware. Very aware. And they're not liking it. Now, I'm glad that they're not liking it because that gives me hope for the future. Mm -hmm. In terms of if our younger generation is seeing this and saying, no, this is wrong. Maybe when we are old and gray. They'll sit there and make sure this never happens again. We never get people in the office like this ever again. Yeah. Yeah, my 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 youngest, uh, Spencer, he he uh had the opportunity for the very first time to vote in 2016. And he he had those options. And I remember us staying up till like two o'clock waiting for the numbers to come in. And it was such an experience for him first to vote. But then to be so disappointed in his very first time he votes, and I couldn't even explain to him what had happened. To this day, I'm like, I don't know. People stayed home. I mean, people people got a problem with staying home now, but they, you know, they stay home like they did in 2016 would be all right. But I digress. Exactly. <laughs> I 100% agree with that. It's crazy to think how that happened. And I feel like you always have these moments in your life that just stand out. Yeah. And that's one of them. Well, 2020 has been killing it with those type of moments. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. But let's, let's get to some of these, these lessons you have. Cause you have some really good ones in here. That I think are good for not only just kids, but adults as well. Like mm-hmm. one of the ones that I point out to my kids that number 22, all laws are not just. Yeah. That's a hard one. That's, like even even right now, what uh, you know, what what some governors are doing, what the president is doing, and, and putting people at risk, and it's almost like legislatively we're powerless. And and if you are um, you have a job where you can't work remote, and suddenly now the governor is saying, or the mayor is saying, you got to go back to work. You can't get unemployment, but you don't want to put your kids at risk. And, and so it's like, well, that's not fair. Like, what do you do, Sue? Well, you don't have money. You can only have money to, to, to keep a roof over your head. So, yeah, the, the system is not for us. And, and a lot of times it's heartbreaking um, as you come into the realization that it's not broken. It's just it wasn't made for us. Yeah, and I think your book does an excellent job of highlighting that and pointing it out to younger younger generations that, hey, it's not made for us, but we have to do something about that. That, that doesn't necessarily have to stop us. That's, and, and that's what I'm hoping. You know, I don't, I don't want to just be someone who says this and this and this is wrong with the world and then, you know, just go on about life. No, I, I, I call out these alarms and hoping that it will inspire uh, generations. I mean, my son's reaction to, to Trump was was to get into student government, to major in political science. You know, he, he, he's aspiring to do hip hop, but he's doing it from a, a conscious and, and a, a responsible social and political perspective. Very Jake Holish, but on a whole nother level um, for, for his generation. And that was all because of Trump. And so I think it's really cool to, you know, have the canary in the coal mine 
but not just to run out of the out of the out of the mind and say you know all is lost but it's like okay what can we do about this well what can we do about this poison that's in the air so now you said i gotta have your soda here as well <laughs> yeah definitely but yeah i think that's good that he's so self-aware about what's going on in society he wants to do something about it and i think he's on the right track in terms of music in terms of that me and you talking reaching people, but not like music. When you start, like, I remember growing up listening to Public Enemy and stuff like that. Listen to NWA, and I know that inspired me more than hearing yeah. some old guy on the corner say the exact same thing. Right, yeah. Yeah, and you internalize. And you, you hear the words, and you don't necessarily understand everything, but as you are learning new words with, with the vocabulary of a lot of these artists, um, you you your your vocabulary is growing. You're trying to find context of what they're talking about, and it is this just brilliant form of education that you can't duplicate an institution. Music is an amazing tool from dealing with depression to teaching to soothing to to making babies. It's it's uh, an amazing thing. I completely agree, and I also. I agree with another point in your book that I like, number 28, that we're not monolithic. I think that's very important to oh note because God, yes. it's always like everybody seems to want to follow the trends and not be their own unique character. And I feel like when you said that, that would hit me like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. So how did you come up with that idea to put in this book? So a <laughs> um, couple, couple of reasons. One, um, my dude, Killer Mike, he has said it a lot of times in talking about the voting process where uh, politicians will try to clump black people as Democrats or black people as a, part a particular thing. And that's not us. So depending on what region of the country you live, you, you're not going to necessarily have the same views. I don't take a Republican or a Democrat uh, stance. I stand for what is in the interest of my community and me. And sometimes that's not even Democratic um, or, or Republican. Um, so, you know, we, we, we should be able to think different. When we create everything that we create, whether it's a novel or a comic or a movie, it doesn't need to be the same genre. There's no black genre. If I want to do a vampire movie, I should be free to do a vampire movie. If I want to do um, comedy, romance, or suspense, I should be free to do that regardless of whether I'm black or not. Um, there's, no, there's, there's, there's no reason why we have to think one way. Um, but then also on the more humorous side, I wrote this for all the people who judged me that I don't know how to play spades because my mom wouldn't <laughs> let me play spades when we were growing up because you know she was like old school and cards was considered gambling. So whenever I get around my friends and they want to play spades, you know, I, I need a session or two to get my get back into it. But nobody ever wants to partner with me because I'm like, ah, I'm a little rusty. We are not monolithic. All black people don't play spades. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. I completely forgot how to play spades. Somebody asked me a couple months back, I'm like, I do not remember the first thing about spades. <laughs> I haven't played space in like 20 years. I'm a quick study, but, you know, it takes me a couple of games. Yeah. 
That is that is a funny but true thing. Like everybody assumes, like you know how to play spades or like listen to hip hop. Like it's a little bit more to us than that. Absolutely. And one of the most interesting things is usually people ask me what my political party is, and I always tell them my political party is a black. Yeah. That's what it is, cause I'm not Democrat, I'm not Republican, I'm black, and I look out for the issues of black people. There you go. Straight up. There you go. And I think that that's important for us to kind of realize because I've always felt like neither one of the parties necessarily represent us, but we have to go through and see what what benefits us the most. And that's how you should be as a voter. That's true. Man, this has been fascinating to say the least. Well, who was the the saying... um... Zora Neale Hurston, uh, all my skin folk ain't my kin folk. That is a fact. That is very true. Um, you know, I, I, you have a, a broad listening audience, but here in, a, in Atlanta, we had a mayor who was black. He did not represent black people at all. As a matter of fact, you know, within political circles, it was all his buddies were Republican and a lot of his major deals, million dollar deals were in the Republican interest. And he was a classic example of just because you're black does not mean I will support you or support what you represent. He was a Democrat, but he showed and acted. <laughs> <laughs> that is fascinating when you see that. Like, I wonder what path led them down that road. Yeah. In terms of, you see certain people like, um, what's the girl that everybody talks about, the young black lady who's um, a Republican? Candace Owens. Yeah, yeah. I see her, and she seems like a very intelligent woman, but it's like, what led you down the path that you are spewing some of the nonsense you're spewing? Mm-hmm. And it just, it just fascinates me how we as a society let that happen mm-hmm. and how they lead to that path. Not saying anything wrong with what they're saying or not, but it seems like there's a divide between black culture and what it means to be black and black people in terms of how you have people who will go out of their way to shun our culture and ostracize us and they, they're, they're also black and it always fascinates me why, that, why does that happen yeah and, and just like when you say like the, the mayor who should end up, end up out of all places mayor in Atlanta yeah just <laughs> one of the most blackest cities yeah and he just does not support black people. It's, it's fascinating when I see that happens. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I, I think a lot of times it's political aspirations or, or money or some promises where, you know, they're just trying to get theirs and they lose their way somewhere along the way. And I can respect someone like Candace Owen because it goes back to, you know, I don't agree with a lot of what she says, but she's not, we're not monolithic and she's a great example. She's a product of her environment. She's an intelligent yes. young woman. Um, unfortunately she has some stereotypes and she's not as open-minded as she should be to hear all sides of the conversation, but you know, she's a great example. I mean, I, I, I don't think I would not invite her to the barbecue just because she has a different perspective. Matter of fact, I want to, I want to understand, like you're saying, like, how, how did, how did this happen? You know, I understand the Batman villains, usually they're bad because something horrible happened in their lives and you actually feel for them because there was a tragedy that made them bad. It wasn't that they're just evil like the Joker or something. 
Yeah, and that's that's what I find fascinating about people like that in terms of like what led you down that path that you are on today, and maybe it's, it motivated you to be a better person, or maybe in your mind it may motivate you to be the person that you are today. But how did you get here? Yeah. But it's, it's certainly fascinating. It's interesting to at how society looks at it, like the whole Kanye West thing. Uh, he, he he can't come to the he can't come to the cookout. <laughs> yeah, it, like I was talking to somebody about that other day. The fact that how he completely did a whole one eighty. Yeah, I don't know what happened in, there. In terms of how he at one point was like George Bush don't like black people, right? And then you see him today, and you're like, you're not even the same dude. Like College Dropout is one of my favorite hip hop albums ever. Yeah, because it's brutally honest about how it normalizes black culture almost in terms of how what stuff Kanye West was rapping about on that album was straight up regular stuff. He was, it was normal, like he was yeah. yeah, he was a normal dude. He was he yeah. was J Cole before J Cole. Exactly, that's the best way to put it. He was he was around rapping about glorifying women and stuff like that. He was rapping about him working at J.C. Penny and Sears trying right. to make it and trying to <laughs> become a rapper. Yeah. And it felt like he rapped for the common man. Then you see him today, you're like, whoa, what happened? The Cardassian curse. <laughs> 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 well, we can get to number 29 then since you said it. Cultural appropriation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Modern day blackface. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating to see how old, because I think we're about close to the same age. Mm-hmm. But all the things that we used to get shunned for in terms of our girls having big butts and all this stuff and hip-hop music, now they're doing all these things. Right. It's, it's, it's baffling to see this almost. So how did you come up with a concept for this number 29? Um... It's, it's all around me. So, whew, man, um, I think I think it's important that, like, your kids' age, you know, they, they grew up seeing the Cardassians and, and, and this culture, many other cultures where they were embracing the lips and the booties and the hips and all of that stuff. And, 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 and then on the more, on the masculine side, this, this, this hip hop sense of masculinity, they're embracing all of that and they're making it their own brand where it's in commercials, it's normalized, and it looks great when it's on them. When, it, when it's with us, we're just a bunch of hoes and, and, and thugs. Um, and that's normal to this newer generation. And so they need to know, well, first of all, this is not right. This is blackface. This is, this is cultural appropriation. This is what it looks like when you steal something and you try to make it yours. This is Christopher Columbus today um, versus where it came from and how you really should cherish your kinky hair and your lips and your hips and, and what you see in the mirror. Because I guarantee you, while they may try to make fun of you, they want that very thing they're making fun of, obviously. I agree. They want to be able to throw the ball. They want to be able to solve the problems. They want all of the things that 
pop culture says black people are not, <laughs> we are. Meanwhile, they're trying to take away the very thing that they say that we're not and make it their own. I agree. I think you, I couldn't put it better myself. Now, let me ask this. This book is awesome. What's next for you? What's next? So, um, you know, I, I'm, I am a publisher now, not just an author. And one of the things that is important to me with the project that I'm currently working on is people know me as a novelist now. They know me as a writer. But again, I'm an illustrator first. So the project that I'm working on now is that's going to come to the, to the forefront a little bit more, um, that I still am able to, to sling paint as well as write stories. Um, 39 Lessons for Black Boys and Girls also kind of ties into the context of the type of novel that I'm writing. Uh, which has to do with um, societal rage from a black person's perspective, as well as from a white character's perspective, whose best friend is black. Um, so working on that novel, um, my, my second novel, uh, The Wedding and Disaster of Felona Mabel, um, has a sequel coming out as well, um, because um, hopefully uh, with the second novel, prepping that for uh, television series. And, uh, and then I'll be getting into, uh, back into my comic book roots, not fully comic book, but, uh, junior, junior fiction where I'll have, uh, characters of paranormal nature. So a lot of little things, um, coming full circle into what actually made me the storyteller, which is comic books. Awesome. Awesome. Let me ask you this question. Since you mentioned your second book. Who would you like to play the lead in that book if you could pick anybody? Oh man, I couldn't even, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't. So when I did the book tour, uh, I had some people bring that up. And there was one lady who took a side-by-side -side picture of my novel and uh, Willow Smith and, and said, you know, Willow, if she came into acting that she would be prime. Yeah, she don't have freckles or whatever, but you know, it's Hollywood. Um, but the dimple and sort of the facial structure, whatever, the hair, like, oh, okay, I could see that. I, I don't know anything about her acting chops. Um, but I, I think that if it were um, somebody, it would have to be somebody that's not really a name. I, I, don't, I don't know that Hollywood has really highlighted people with freckles because that's a great example of um, things that people have for the longest time were told was an ugly thing. Now everybody wants freckles, but the kids yes. who grew up with freckles were made fun of uh, when, when, when they were younger. Everybody wants freckles now. That is very true. It's like they even have like filters on your phone where you can make some. <laughs> exactly. It's crazy. Man, this has been awesome to say the least, brother. I agree. I really appreciate Let, you having me. Definitely. My pleasure. Let them know where to find you at. Oh, my name is the, is the key. So if you can spell my name right, K-E-N-N-B-I-V-I-N-S, uh, you Google that name and you can pretty much get me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, or, or the various uh, websites that my books are associated with. But more particular, if you're interested in Paya's Bologna Mabel or the 39 Lessons series, 
They are all on Amazon. They are actually everywhere, not just Amazon, Apple, Barnes and Noble, wherever digital books are sold and some physical bookstores as well. That's dope. Thank you for coming on, brother. We got to have you back on again, okay? Thank you for having me. I appreciate you very much. An honor to to be added into the discography of great guests that you've had. Thank you, brother. Thank oh, you. It's been awesome. All right. And as, as always, Devil Cox Spirits, we are out. Peace. Peace. You did great, brother. You did really good. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Delvin Cox Experience. If you want more content, go on patreon.com slash the Delvin Cox Experience. There we have a bunch of exclusive episodes, including the video version of the Roast of Delvin Cox. You can't get the video version anywhere else but on Patreon, so make sure you check it out. Also, shout out to Patreon producer Ghost Rider UK.